Well, hello, everybody. It's wonderful to have you with us. I pray wherever you are that you know that God is with you exactly in the place where you are. Well, today we are going to talk, the title of my message is, When Life is Beyond What You Can Do. When Life is Beyond What You Can Do. Because we all face circumstances, don't we, where we can't figure out some things, where things are beyond us. I have never forgotten the day I sat in the office of the doctor and I'd had to have an operation and I'd had the operation. I went back six weeks later and I still remember him sitting across the table and saying, well, the operation went well, but we've just discovered that you have cancer. And, we, uh, and, and you will be a cancer sufferer for the remainder of your life. And uh, we will watch and we will wait. We'll see what we, will happen. Well, a few day, years went by and I remember sitting in the, doctor, in the specialist's office across the, from his table and he said to me, we've done more tests because I had to do tests for all the years. And he said, it has changed and he said, it has turned rabid. And he said, we can now tell, I can now tell you how long you have left, and I can put a date on it. And I don't know if you've ever had that sense of feeling heavy, but I felt like I was going to fall through the chair as he spoke to me that day. And he said, there are ways, things that we can do, and, you know, that might make things well. At that point, you stop and you say to yourself, well, who do I tell? Do I tell anybody? How do I go home and tell my children or the people who love me? And I remember driving around immediately after hearing that, thinking, what do I do with it? And, uh, and uh, well, I'm fortunate to believe I've done a whole pile of things and I'm all good now. But at the time, you keep it to yourself because you at first don't know what to say. And it sometimes so often is beyond you. And I meet people all the time, people who write to us, who are going through all sorts of stuff, they carry these silent pains, and maybe some of you who've walked in here today, you, in your own way, are carrying a silent pain. Uh, we don't share it. We don't know how to share it sometimes. We don't want to be judged by mistakes that we've made if we have. We don't know sometimes just what to do. It could be relational difficulty. There could be separations in our families and in our circumstances where we are not getting on with people we once did. The, some of the people that we love, we're at odds with. Um, uh, so we no longer take, uh, no, sometimes people that we love no longer take our calls. Uh, you can't put your finger on it sometimes. Sometimes you find that words just get in the way of, of, of being able to restore things and make things better. There are some of us who have made mistakes. We have done things we should never have done in a bygone era. I have so many people who say this to me. And they live with the weight and the struggle of the decisions that they've made, which they live with every day and that has affected others. Maybe your pain could be your work. Maybe your pain and struggle is financial stress, which so many people go through. Maybe it's a medical report. It's a conflict that you are in with someone. It's a past mistake that you live with, as I say. Uh, maybe you have a dream on your heart and you think to yourself, there's something that I want to do, but I don't know how to fulfil it. I don't know how to make it real. I don't know what to do. I don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have the context. contacts. Um, you don't know how to get there. And it breaks your heart that every day you live with a dream that you don't know how to fulfil. Do you need a miracle? Because what's a miracle? A miracle is something that we can't do. 
A miracle is something that is beyond us because we can't face it. And yet we, as Christian people, are in the miracle business. We're in the miracle business and, 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 and all of us know that position when something seems against us, when something seems beyond us. Um, and, you know, and, and so I'm going to go to the Bible and I'm going to have a look at the Bible and, 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 the, and the Bible, if we're really truthful, the Bible is, is a handbook for life. It's a handbook for life. It, it speaks practically to us about how we face the issues of life and, and there is so much wisdom and power and insight and knowledge that's in it. Uh, and, and, and it has words of everlasting life, life, not for heaven, but words of everlasting life for now. Um, and you know, and I, I know there are people who are probably watching who think to themselves, I don't know how to read it. People say that to me all the time. I don't know how to read it. I just met with a very, very powerful man and we were talking about the Bible and he said to me, he said, I don't know how to read it. Uh, he said, I keep looking through it uh, and I, I find things <laughs> and I didn't even know they were ever there and I don't know where to look for things and I, I don't understand what it means. And so I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you to walk through it. And, and how does this speak to this issue of sometimes how do we cope with life when life's beyond us and we can't get through? I'm going to have a look at one of the most famous passages in the Bible, if you are someone who reads the Bible, and it's the feeding of the 5,000. Many of us have read it um, and, uh, and how Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish. And we're going to go to John's Gospel, chapter 6. And we're going to read from verse, verse 1 and we're going to ask God to bless us and speak to us. And so we read, After this, Jesus went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea of Tiberias. Why was it called the Sea of Tiberias? Just for if you're ever in a quiz night and someone says, why is it called the Sea of Tiberias? Well, the sea, it was called the Sea of Tiberias because he was the second Roman emperor and the, and the Roman Empire began to rename things. And so the Sea of Galilee became known as the Sea of Tiberias as well. Verse 2, a large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. And Jesus went up the mountain and sat down with his disciples now the, pass, now the Passover, the festival of the Jews, was near. And when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat down, about 5,000 in all. Now when we talk about 5,000 in all, most of the time when we read the Scriptures, the scriptures, Jesus spoke in the presence mainly of men because the men were the ones who went out because of culturally often, often, often the women were not. And so we're going to read in this and we'll see that there were both men and women there. And if there were just 5,000 men there, if, every, if, if the men brought their wives and brought their kids, who knows how many were there? Maybe there was 7,000 or 10,000 or 15,000, you know, whatever it was if all of the children came. 
And so all of them were there. Um, and, uh, and so we, we read on. Um, and when he looked up, he saw a large crowd. I'm going to go back to verse 5. And when he looked up, he saw a large crowd coming toward him. And Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. Now one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. And what are they among so many people? And Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was a great deal of grass in the place, so they sat about 5,000 in all. And then Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed, distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they were satisfied, he told his disciples, gather up all the fragments left over so that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up, and the fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten, they filled 12 baskets. And when the people saw the sign that he had done, they began to say, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into, uh, into the world. Now, this is the only scripture, the only passage of scripture that is in all four of, of the actions that Jesus did, on all four of the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the only one. We don't, we don't see it anywhere else. And, and this is good. And this is good. And the other thing that's interesting, and I'll tell you why it's good, the other thing that's interesting is that none of the four stories are the same. And to critics of the Bible, they immediately turn around and go, well, that proves that the Bible's not real because there's contradicting information in all the stories. But the truth is what it does tell us is, is that if it was all the same, it would just suggest it had been copied. And, and, and what it does is by it being different, it is four different people, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and they're all giving their version of the same story. If in time you were to give your, your, uh, your version of an event that you went to, whether it be a wedding or, you know, or, or, a, or a party, and you were to do that and you were going to get a group of people to do it, everybody would tell a slightly different story. Because we all bring our own insight, what we saw, what we experienced. And so the very fact that the story is different gives us confidence that it's real. As opposed to if it's not, if it was different, if it was all the same, we would just say, well, someone's just copied the same thing. Because when different people experience the same thing, they always see different things. Different things speak to us. Um, uh, now, if I, now, if I'm going to say some things today and you think to yourself, but that wasn't in John's gospel, it might not have been because I'm going to borrow from the other, other stories as well. So I'm going to try and put them all together. And if, you, if for anyone who wants to do this, it's fascinating to put all four stories side by side and then line up every verse against and every part of the story to look at what's common to all and where they slightly different, differ. Uh, it gives you great insight. Verse 2. It says this, a large crowd kept following him because they saw the signs that he was doing for the sick. When Jesus did miracles, they were not miracles to heal people or just to provide for people. When Jesus was doing miracles, he was fundamentally saying this, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Saviour, 
And, and, it was, and the, the miracle was a sign of getting people's attention that this man was different. And so, and, so, and so the miracles were indication of Jesus saying to the world, I am the Messiah. I am the Messiah. Verse 3, Jesus went up the mountain and sat down there with his disciples. Now in Mark's version, it says this. He said to the apostles, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. One of the things is that when we read the story is that Jesus was so popular and the apostles were so popular, they were chased everywhere by the crowds. And because they were chased before the crowds, they got tired. And so Jesus from time to time would take them away in order to give them rest, to give them rest. And, and, and we learn and we see a couple of things about Jesus and what Jesus knows about us. Number one is Jesus cares about what we need. He sees that they have a need for rest. So he says, hey, come away with me. Come away with me. And maybe where you are right now, you could stop and say, Jesus sees what I need. Sometimes we feel so alone, but we can stop and go, Jesus sees right now what I'm in need of. The second thing is Jesus knows our need, even the unspoken. What you need right now, Jesus is aware of and he's aware of what you need, even those things that are unspoken, right? They need rest. They needed some time away from the crowd that were following him. Um, but when the crowds do follow, because when the only way to get away is you can't hop on a plane and fly away or go somewhere, get, you know, get in a dark uh, car with dark tinted windows in those days and be driven away, or as I saw one famous person did, he came out of a building with, a, with about four limousines. He was in one and they all went in different directions to try and throw off the press. No, all they could do was walk. And so the crowds followed them all the time. And, and, and when, and it says, if you read the various scriptures, it says, it says, when Jesus looked up and he saw them, even though he was trying to get everybody away, it says he welcomed them and he also had compassion on them and then he cured their sick. So on the one hand, Jesus is trying to take everybody away because they need a rest. But when the crowds capture him, he doesn't go to go, he doesn't get upset and angry. You know, have you ever had a plan and it hasn't worked and you get upset and angry? None of you, just me, right? It is, is that, what does it say? He meets them, he, he welcomes them, he has compassion on them. In Mark's gospel, Mark, it says this. And as he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And they were like sheep without a shepherd. And that phrase, the phrase when I read that, when I was preparing, really spoke to me. I was once in a, in a, in a, in a church and I was speaking and the church was packed. And it was a big fan-based church where all the chairs wrapped around you. And I was standing down the front, you know, just in, in, in the front of the altar, and, and, and we had dimmed the church. It was full. And uh, uh, dimmed the church, and, and, uh, and, and there was all these bright lights on, on, on me. And, and, and if you've ever had stood on stages and you have bright lights, you can't sometimes see anybody. And so I couldn't see a soul. It was pitch black, but other than the brightness of the lights coming coming. But as soon as you can't see, what happens to you? Your hearing peaks, doesn't it? And so there am I 
in a crowd, they could see me. The church is completely full. And, and I could hear them and, and it, was just, they were, it was just quiet. And, and, and then I, I, I began to share about some things about their lives and about God and how God wanted to be in their life and how much God loved them. And, 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 and all of a sudden, just in the darkness, I began to hear some sniffling. And then, and then I began to hear some crying. And, 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 then, and, then, and then all of a sudden, as always happens, sometimes the men began to cry. And men cry a bit louder than women. And I remember the priest who was there, he said to me, he said, uh, he said, I expected that maybe the women might get emotional. He said, but I never thought that the men would cry. He said, I, he said on either side of me, he said, there were two men, men who were weeping as the presence of God came in the church. And, and, and I remember as I was standing there in, in the dark and I couldn't see, and I remember I stopped. And, and, I, you know, and they'd come and they'd advertise this event where we were and, 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 and they'd put a lot of effort into us coming. And I remember I stopped and I remember, I remember saying it just under my breath, God, give me something to say that would help them. There were so many people that were there that night that I found out that weren't in church. Some of them were in some really terrible situations in their life. Some of them were very faithful and seeking more of God too. And I remember I said to God, God, give me something to say that would help them. Because when it's over, I just hop on a plane and fly to another city. You know? And these words came to my mind. And, and I just listened to them. And, and having talked to them in the couple of previous days, this word, they're like sheep without a shepherd. So many people are not connected to who Jesus is. And, and so here's Jesus. He looks at this crowd coming to him and he goes, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And in those days, the sheep were looked after and there were wolves in the land and there were people who'd steal them. And, and the shepherd knew his sheep by name and the sheep were trained to the voice of the shepherd. And so, he, and so Jesus sees him and he goes, these people don't know me. These people don't know me. Um, in John 6, verse 5, it says, And when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? Where are we going to? He says to him, He said, Where are we going to buy bread for these people to eat? In other words, Jesus is saying this. Now, Jesus begins to turn his mind to the miracle, to the miracle, that the miracles that often all of us need in our lives. Um, he says to again, look at verse, verse 5. And when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? In other words, Jesus is saying, what is your response going to be to the impossible, Philip? What is your response going to be to the impossible, Philip? What's your response going to be? What are you going to do? Because the impossible is... This is a huge crowd. And how are you going to feed them? What are you going to do? Jesus puts it right back on him. Jesus is saying, this is a chance for your faith to grow. Jesus is saying, this is a chance for your faith to grow. In John 6, 6, it says, and he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he was going to do. 
Jesus knew what he was going to do, but he tested him. Do you, ever, do you ever stop and think to yourself, sometimes Jesus tests you? Sometimes Jesus puts tests in you to see what you will do and to see if you will pass the test. And sometimes we interpret the test as being, well, God has abandoned me. God is not with me that, you know, that I can't do this. And we're given tests. And so what we see is, 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 is what's Jesus saying? He's doing this. He said this to test him for he himself knew what he was going to do. In other words, Jesus always has a plan. He knew what he was going to do. He already had the plan. He had it figured. This dilemma that they faced was not a dilemma to him. He knew. He just wanted to figure out if they could figure it out. Right? See, Jesus is aware of what we think is impossible. Jesus is aware of what we think is impossible. He says, so, so what's Philip's answer to Jesus? What are you going to do about this crowd? How are you going to feed them? Verse 7, it says, Philip answered him, six months' wages would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. In Matthew's gospel, he said, they replied, we have nothing here but five loaves, two bread, fish. In other words, what we have is insufficient to meet the day. See, their faith is at the impossible level. This is impossible. This can't be done. This can't, cannot be done. In John 6, verse 8 and 9, it says this. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they among so many people? We've got a little, but it's not enough. And so why does it even matter the little that we have? Why does it even matter what we can do? Why, why does it in other words? In other words, they're saying this. It's hopeless. We are short. It cannot be done. It cannot be done. And it's here where Jesus decides to go to work. It's here where Jesus comes into his own, right? And verse, uh, verse 5, it says, when, when he looked up and saw a large crowd coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread for these people to eat? In other words, he was saying, Philip, your answer's wrong. Because Philip's answer was, Jesus asked him a question. Jesus asked him a question. Um, what are you going to do about feeding this crowd? <laughs> they, he says, well, six months' wages won't do it. All we got is five loaves, two barley fish that some kids got. What are we going to do? In other words, Philip, Philip, Philip gives the wrong answer. Philip bases his answer on his ability. Philip bases his answer on his resources and what he has. Philip's response should have been this. This is the faith's response. What are you going to do about it? Because it's never, ever, our response that matters. Because we can't do anything about it. If, you, if you're in a, a relationship and someone's heart's turned bitter towards you, how do you change that? If you don't have enough money in your account to pay your bills, how do you change that? If you have a health report and it's beyond what medicine can do, how do you change that? How do you change it? If he's God in our life, our response can only be, 
Jesus, what are you going to do about it? It's the only response we can have. There is no other response. Any other response is silly. Oh, no, I think I'll do this or I'll do that. Another one of the translations said when he asked, what are you going to do to feed him? Another one says, well, we've only got five loaves, two barley fish, unless we go to the shops. It literally says, unless we go and buy something. That's their plan. You know, maybe. Uh, maybe. Um, see, you can imagine Jesus. How does Jesus do it? It says he sat them all down in the crowd. He says, sit down. Sit down. I'm, I'm going to work now. I'm going I'm to fix it. So he sits them all down in crowds, in, in, in groups. They'll sit down. And you can imagine Jesus. Look at me. You can imagine Jesus. You can imagine Jesus going to that little boy and with the five loaves and two fish and saying to him, will you give me your dinner? Will you give it all to me? Will you give it up, everything you have? Will you give it to me? What is seemingly insignificant, what is seemingly short, what seemingly will not meet the need of the day, will you give up what you have? Will you give it up? Uh, will you trust me? What he's saying to the little boy is, it's not on you to fix your situation. It's not on you to fix all of these other people. He's saying that every apostle, every disciple around, everyone who believes in him around is, it's not on you. How many times do we get depressed? Do we get down? Do we get worried? Because it's about us having to solve our problems. We, we, we hear talks about being responsible, about making sure we are on top of things. And yet there are so many things that we can't do. And he says to the little boy, will you trust me? And see, the secret to a miracle, what's the secret to a miracle? Will you trust me when it seems impossible? Will you trust me? In other words, will you keep walking in the direction that you need to walk and what I've asked you to do? Where you are in your life, in your circumstances, where you are, will you continue to walk in the direction that I've asked you to walk? And then what does it say in verse 11? It says, then Jesus took the loaves and when he'd given thanks, he looked up, the other translation says, he, all the other three, Matthew, Mark and Luke, all say, he looked up to heaven. In other words, he looked to his father. And, you know, then Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he looked up to heaven. He distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. Um, wouldn't you have loved to hear that prayer that Jesus prayed? Whew, wouldn't that be a ripper? Would you not have loved to hear the prayer that Jesus prayed? He turns to his father and he says, to, he says, Father, Father, hear me. Hear me. Bless what I'm about to do. Bless what I'm about to do. Lord, may I keep breaking and breaking and breaking and breaking this bread until everyone has had their fill. just meet so many people in pain, so many people who are dying, so many people whose marriages are in trouble, so many people who are falling short, and, and it's all on them. 
And Jesus prays, Father, Father, may I just keep breaking it and breaking it and breaking it and breaking it and breaking it. And every one of the translations says, until everyone has had their fill. Everyone's had everything they need. They need. Until the 5,000 or whatever the number is full. Is full. Jesus didn't depend on himself. He just didn't. He depended on his Father in heaven. On his Father in heaven. Uh, Jesus says this when it comes to miracles. Jesus says, surrender to me. Jesus says, surrender the totality of all of who you are to me. Because I am the only one who can. I'm the only one who can. In the book of, in the book of Psalms, David writes, he says this. If the foundations are destroyed... Another translation says, if the houses are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is, Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. What's it saying? If everything is destroyed, if all hope is lost, if there's nothing that we can do, if there's nothing we do, the Lord's still in his, holy, in his temple. The Lord is still on his throne in heaven. He is not defeated. He is not incapable. He sits waiting for us to turn to him. The secret to the secrets to, if you put them back on the screen for me, uh, Dave, the secrets to miracles is Jesus cares about what we need. He cares. Jesus knows our needs, even the unspoken needs. Thirdly, he always has a plan. He always has a plan. And, and finally, Jesus says, surrender to me. So if you're lonely today, surrender to him. If you're wondering what purpose you have at this point in your life, surrender to him. If the amount of money in your bank account doesn't equal what's going out, surrender to him. You know? If there's a dream on your heart for something you've always believed you wanted to do but don't know how to get there, surrender to him. You know? And you might be someone today who thinks to yourself, well, I'm not all that Christian, I'm not all that God-believing, I don't know even how to pray. Well, all you need to do is you're in the prime position and I find often with people who have no faith that they are better placed for miracles than the people of faith. Because one of the things I've learnt of people of faith is we put restrictions upon God because it's neat. Whereas the person who sometimes hasn't had much faith receives the miracle, as we read in the scriptures all the time, simply because they didn't know where the limits were. Where do you need a miracle today? Where do you need a miracle today? Where do we need a miracle today? He's still on his throne, he's not defeated. And so even if you were in pain and he sees your pain, he knows exactly where you are. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly that we are called to declare who he is. We're called to declare who he is. And we are to declare his provision and we are to declare his power and his promises over us that he's with us. 
And so through our mouth, we must declare what God, who God is and what he can do for us. We need to make that statement of faith. By surrendering to him, we also mean this, that sometimes God has a plan and his plan is different to us. And sometimes God's, God, God's got the plan and his plan is ultimately that all people would come to him. And just maybe, just maybe for some of us, the reason we go through the pain and the struggle and the suffering that we do and the crosses that we carry is because they're the very things that we need that would bring us to him. That if we had everything we wanted, that everything turned out according to our limited sight, maybe it would stop us and prevent us from being his kingdom people on earth. So the next time you face a problem and you can't deal with it, say to Jesus, if I'm yours, what are you going to do about it? It's always the answer. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to work in my life today? And so today, why don't we pray for everyone here, for everyone watching around the world? Why don't we pray? Let, let, and let's just bring ourselves to that quiet place. And maybe right now, with our eyes closed, just let's bring ourselves to that place of where do we have needs? Maybe you're considering retiring right now, as someone said to me recently, but it's so hard, I'm not sure if it's right. Someone recently said to me, I'm thinking of moving home, but I'm not sure. Someone else said they're trying to build a home and haven't got the funds. Someone else has problems with a child, talking to them anymore, or marriages that are, where love has gone dry. And people face health issues for themselves or for those they love. Lord, we come before you and we surrender our lives and we make you first and Lord, we make you the centre of our life by saying, come into the centre of my life. I want your will and your way in me. But Lord, there are some of us who say, I'm not sure if I believe. Well, Lord, reveal yourself to those people. See the honesty of their prayer and allow them to experience and encounter you exactly where they are. Lord, look right now to those areas of our life where we are saying, what are you going to do about it? That doesn't mean we do nothing ourselves, but what are you going to do about these things that are beyond us? Our world is hurting. People are in pain. We need you. We need you in our lives to do what only you can do. Lord, allow the little that we have to be multiplied by you. Allow, Lord God, the seemingly impossible to become possible because of you. Come, Lord God, to us. Come, Lord God, to us and meet our needs right now. And maybe right now there's something in your heart specifically that you are saying to God, God, what are you going to do about it? Bring that to mind right now and pray.
Loving God, we just praise you and adore you. We glorify you and honour you. It says you live in the praises of your people. That's where people acknowledge you for being God. Be with us today and bless us. And we thank you, Lord God, that we would be people of miracles because you use the miracles to build the faith of the apostles and the disciples. May we see the impossible in our lives so that you would build our faith. Come, Lord God, to us. And Father, we make this prayer in Jesus' name through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, that's our service today, but I have something extra special. In recent times, people have been asking what's been happening in the ministry. People know that I've been travelling a lot. We've been asking people to pray. Well, I want to share with you today what has been occurring. So if you have time, stay and watch this message that I recorded for everyone. And I pray it deeply blesses you. This very much comes from my heart. In recent times, family, friends, faith builder partners and people who follow the ministry have been asking us, have been asking me what I've been doing these past few months. I've been travelling extensively and I've been asking people to pray and to intercede for meetings that have taken uh, place in places like Phoenix and Tulsa, St Louis and in Brisbane and in other places. And so today I thought I would share with you some of what has been happening and what I've been up to. To understand all of this, however, and what I'm doing, it fits into a bigger picture. Now, when I was a little boy, some nights if I was outside with mum and dad and my four brothers, and we were looking up at the stars, we would look for certain constellations. Now, a constellation is a configuration of stars that makes a shape. We didn't know the astrological names for these shapes, but we called one constellation the saucepan, we had another one that we called the Three Bears. And there was another one we always looked for, a famous one, which was the Southern Cross. And if we said to mum and dad, where's the Southern Cross? They would always say, look for the pointers. And sure enough, standing out very clearly in the night sky were two stars, which I would learn later were Alpha Centauri, the second closest star to the earth, and Beta Centauri. If, and if you found the pointers, you would find the Southern Cross. The cross is the symbol of God's love for all of humankind. That whilst humanity was separated from God by our weakness and by our sinfulness, that God the Father sent his son into the world to set us free, to save us because he loved us. And it is the cross which is the symbol of his mercy. And there it was in the sky. This year, Rosemary and I moved home and when I lie in bed at night and I look out the window, there in the, uh, in, the, in the night sky, large in my window, is the Southern Cross and its two pointers. This picture is what I can see from my window. I took this picture uh, only a few hours ago. And what I hear God saying to me louder than I ever have in my whole life is, point to me now. Point to me. Show me to people everywhere. This has gripped me in recent times more than it ever has. In recent years, we've been working on this sharing of who Jesus is and bringing people to faith. We've found a way as a ministry, we've found a way that when we share the gospel in certain ways, it keeps bringing people to Jesus or bringing people back to Jesus and his church if they've been disconnected. It's without exaggeration that countless numbers of people have turned to God returned to church and have overcome the challenges in their life all because they heard the message of Jesus. 
It has been extraordinary. I wish I could have every one of you see and hear what we do. We are living in a world in great pain. There's the people of Myanmar, oppressed by the military. In both the nations of Sudan and South Sudan, in both respective countries, there's civil wars raging. There's the devastation in Syria, the unrest in Lebanon, and the more well-known wars taking place right now between Ukraine and Russia, the conflict in Israel, Gaza, and the West Bank. And these are just to name some of the conflicts in the world. There is a poverty and oppression affecting many people today. Violence is on the streets of numerous cities and nations around the world. It's even in our suburbs where we live. Today, marriages and relationships are under stress. There's financial, financial pressure for so many. Countless people are captured by addictions such as drugs, alcohol, pornography, and the devastating effects of these and so many others. In all of these, people are hurting and people are being crushed in body and spirit. And at the same time, as these are increasing, the voice of Christ and that of the church is being pushed to the sidelines of society. The world is becoming more and more godless. What's this got to do with what I'm doing, what we're doing? I hear Christ saying to me in my conscience, point to me, point to me and point to me now and do it now and show people me. When I was 17 years old, I felt in my conscience that place where you hear the voice of God in your own heart and life. I felt that God wanted to say something to me. I know that's strange, a strange concept for some people that God would speak and that God would direct us. But for me, uh, I, I had this sense that God wanted to impress on my heart something. And over an eight month period, I wondered what God wanted to say to me because in these eight months, I kept hearing this thought, God wants to say something as strange as that was. I've, I heard nothing. And then over a series of days in my mid 18th year, um, I felt like God impressed on my heart what I was to do with the rest of my life. My dad, whenever he spoke to my four brothers and I, and often, often at times, instead of using our names, would say to us when speaking to us individually, my son. He called us my son. And he did this until he was a very old man and right up until the day he died. And this deeply affected me and probably my image of who God is. So when I think of God, I often have this image of a father who loves us deeply, who wants to be intimate with us. So when I wrote over those few days in my 18th year, what I thought God was saying to me or convicting me of, I always felt God was starting off by saying, my son. I've never heard God's voice, but I wrote the, in those days what I thought God was saying as if he was talking directly to me. Uh, the following are my words, what I felt in my conscience in those, in those days. And this is what I wrote when I was 18 years old. My son, I, the Lord your God, love you. I love you with an unceasing love a love that cannot pass away. My son, I tell you that the darkness that comes upon this earth has already begun. Already people cannot hear my word or see me in my own creations, either in that of themselves or of my creations on the earth. 
My son, I have a special word for you. And that is you will proclaim my glory to the ends of the earth. I tell you that will be hard because that will mean loneliness from those who love you. That will mean persecution because you love me. My son, thousands, even millions will turn away from the proclaiming light that you will bring to them. But millions will grow to love me because of your witness and your words, which I will have given to you. No single set of words have affected me as these. I was 18 years old. These words have been my North Star. What the world needs now in our day is Jesus Christ. People need to encounter him for themselves. From the time I was 18 years old, I set out to fulfill how to point people to Jesus. I've got to be honest, I didn't know how. Uh, I've, I've often been lost as to how. And yet through the years of invitations that have come and the opportunities that have come through priests and bishops and business people and people from many different backgrounds to share Christ, every time I've learnt more and more and we've learnt more and more. Just a few years ago, the small work that I and our team were doing on television and parish missions and events was seen by a lawyer and attorney in Tulsa, Oklahoma, in the United States. He approached me and he asked if I would be interested in proclaiming Christ to even more people across the United States and around the world. Well, after some discernment, we agreed and over the past few years, countless numbers of people across the globe have come to Christ, returned to Christ, become more open to Christ, all because of the invitation of that lawyer. It has been a time filled with challenges. There have been hardships as, as we've learned so much. But it's been amazing and, and more than I could ever, ever have imagined. There have been times when people have said to me to give up because of how hard it's been. Uh, it's even been said to me that sharing Christ through this kind of proclamation isn't wanted by people. I know that there are people who are saying it's too late. The times are too dark. Well, I don't agree. I've seen what the gospel can do. I've seen people's lives changed. And I believe that the gospel is the hope of the world. A couple of years ago, an accountant in Australia, a Catholic man who I didn't know approached me also. And he's been sending me messages over and over and emails and asking if he could meet, asking if he can help. He's been persistent. Uh, he, along with a, another group of accountants, lawyers, business people, and others who watch the daily devotionals, who pray with us, or who watched the other things we've done, have gathered together. They've offered their help. They've asked what they can do to help make the gospel go further. And just like that lawyer in Tulsa, Oklahoma, they have said that they will do what needs to be done in order to make Christ go further. When I looked at every one of them, whether they are in the United States or Australia or elsewhere, uh, every one of them have been affected by Christ through the ministry because the ministry shared Christ with them and they've been affected in some big or small way. The big learning in the past couple of years has been if that if we are to reach people for Jesus Christ and connect them to his church, then we have to get the message that we share outside the walls of the church. If all we're doing is reaching people in the church, we'll not reach the majority of people who are already outside the church. And for most people, this is their spouse, their children, 
their family, their friends and colleagues because they are outside the church. So often out of the blue, the people I've not known or hardly known uh, have contacted me and asked if they can help, just like all of these people I've mentioned. It's so often been these people that has caused us and helped me to reach more people for Christ. Now, here are these accountants and lawyers and business people bringing their skills together from different countries even to make this happen. Now, we know if we are to put our programs on television, on social media, the Internet and advertise that people in the privacy of their home will watch and many people will come to encounter Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. From here, they go to church. Uh, we have to get the message of Jesus in front of people. The problem is, is that this kind of marketing and getting the message in front of people is expensive. We're competing. We're competing with Coca-Cola. We're competing with McDonald's, with Apple, with Amazon, with Starbucks, these giant and many other co companies. And, and while many of them sell great products, our product is the love of Jesus. It is the greatest product of all. But getting that message out is not cheaper for church people. And what is preventing us from reaching more people, reaching our families for Jesus, is the cost. So these accountants, these lawyers, these business people and others in various countries want to help overcome this problem uh, that is restricting us in how we share Jesus and how we help uh, reaching others. This is different to our Faith Builder Partners because the Faith Builder Partners are keeping us going every day. That's what you do for those of you who are. What we're talking about now is going to an entire another level. Our Faith Builder Partners are the ones who keep us with the ability to be able to stand here today. I would not be able to be here today if it was not for our Faith Builder Partners. Now, it all sounds simple, I know, but to do it properly, and to be obedient to the calling of God, to share Christ, it has to be done correctly. The group of people who approach me and asked if they can help are being evangelists themselves. This is what is taking up so much of my time. I feel convicted. I feel compelled to share Christ. But there are others who are just like me who want to do the same. If we want to truly change the world, history tells us bring people to Jesus Christ. That's the answer. If we want answers to the issues of society and the breakdown of society and the isolation we see in society, bring people to Jesus. A life changed by Christ will be used by God to address the issues of global warming, poverty, war, politics, unemployment, education, medicine, and the list goes on and on. Because when someone comes to Jesus, Jesus will convict them and place them, as the scripture says, to use their gifts, their passions, their talent, whether it be in business or politics or, or some other place, or in the day-to-day -day areas of their life to change the world. This is what it means to be a light on the hill. The answer is us being filled with Jesus in the place where God puts us in our families and in the world. The answer is Jesus. The lawyer, the attorney from Tulsa said to me, I'll help you share the gospel all around America and all over the world. And then he said to me, I don't want anything for it. You don't need to pay me. He has spent hours and hours on this. He has flown to cities at his own expense to meet me and to meet with others. And he won't even let me pay for lunch when we meet. He says by his actions, he wants Christ to be known by people. 
Now, here's the fascinating thing. I'm a Catholic. This man is not a Catholic. But what he is, is a Christ follower and a lover of Christ. And he wants us to reach more people and to put them in the Catholic Church and to bring them to Christ and to connect them wherever we can. And not just to reach Catholic people, but to reach all people for Christ. Uh, Interestingly, he's also one of our largest donors on top of all of that. When we were figuring it out and learning and testing, he didn't abandon us. When COVID hit, and that was a tough time, wasn't it, for so many, he didn't quit on us. It's because of him that he helped us reach people in places that we could only ever have dreamed of. Here's some of the countries where people have asked to receive our daily devotionals and other materials that we would have never gone to if it wasn't for the invitation of that attorney in Tulsa. Uh, He was a man I had never met and he has encouraged me over and over, just like many Catholic bishops have, to share the gospel. Our daily devotionals go to Algeria, Angola, Botswana, Burkina Faso, Cameroon, Central Africa Republic, Comorosos, Equatorial Guinea, Atria, Ethiopia, Gabon, Gambia, Ghana, Guinea, uh, Kenya, Lesotho, Liberia, uh, Libya, Malawi, uh, Mali, Morocco, Namibia, Nigeria, Rwanda, Senegal, Sierra Leone, Somalia, South Africa, Sudan, Swaziland, Tanzania, Tunisia, Uganda, Zambia, as well as uh, many other places. These are just some of the places. These are places in Africa, in the continent of Africa. Why do I read these to you? Uh, Look how far we we have reached. Look how far that that message that God spoke to that little boy, because that's all I was when I was 18, has gone You'll proclaim my glory to the ends of the earth. And it has. Uh, All of this is on top of the fact that now people in every state of the USA, Australia, the United Kingdom, countries throughout Europe, South America, Asia, the Pacific are receiving the message of the gospel through what we're sharing. None of this would have happened if it was not for that man, that lawyer, one man stepping out of the dark. And saying by his actions, I believe that the gospel is the hope of the world. It wouldn't have happened without him. It wouldn't have happened without the ministry team I have around me, my staff, who are convicted to see Christ come. Uh, It's also been because of the many Catholic bishops who have made all of this possible. We'll soon launch the daily devotional and Sunday messages in multiple other languages, different languages in different regions of the world. My prayer in time is that we can release the daily devotionals in over a hundred different languages every day that would reach people exactly where they are. Someone wrote to me recently and said this, at the age of 60 odd, I wish there was someone who had explained all of this to us the way you are, Bruce. Perhaps as younger people, we would have had a much deeper walk with God and not just gone through the motions year after year. Thank you for following what God has sent you to do. Someone else wrote, I'm from a small town. I'm not anyone important, but I was looking for my faith. So when I heard you speak, I can truly say that you saved my Catholic life. Thank you. Truly, thank you. And then someone else wrote, I used to be Catholic. 
I made my Holy Communion and Confirmation when I was a child. If I had gotten this kind of teaching then, I would never have left the Catholic Church. There's an incredible amount to this and this ministry and how we're doing it. And if you think you can help or you want to know more, please contact me. If you know someone you think might be able to help us share Jesus so that people would come to know him and it would change their world and our world, share this with them. If you'd like to contribute to share Jesus because you think that the gospel is the hope of the world, well, you can contact me or just go straight to this uh, website and you can contribute now. I can do this by myself. Um, but if you go back and look at that picture of the Southern Cross, have a look at the two pointers. All by myself, I'm just a twinkling star pointing nowhere in particular. Uh, if you take one of them away. It points to nothing. For that star, for those pointers to have meaning, they need another pointer to come alongside them, to point to Christ. And I'm asking you today, I'm asking you, would you, by your prayer, by your contribution, by your skill, by what you can do, would you be, be a pointer with me that points to the cross of Christ? I'm asking you to join me in whatever way you can. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm going to do for the remainder of my life. Myself, our team and all those who step out of the darkness and say, we can help you make Christ the Lord of people's lives. The world is in need of Christ. The world is in need of Jesus right now. And if you will not and I will not go, who will? This is our hour. This is our moment in history. This is when the need is before us. And it is wrong to say that the hour is too late. It is wrong to say that it is too dark. This is our moment. This is what I've been doing. And this is what I'm grateful to everyone who's helping me do. Pray that we can reach another life. Another life that is valuable another life all over the world because Jesus is the hope of the world. So if you want to talk to me, you can contact me conf confidentially and, and I'd love to hear what God has placed on your heart right now. The world is in need of you and me being those pointers to him. Loving Father, we give you thanks and we give you praise because you are good. And Lord God, our world is in need. And Jesus, right from the very beginning, when you walked the earth, you constantly sent people out. You proclaimed your kingdom and you told us to go into the world and to do even more, that we would do even more than what you had done. Lord God, bless us, anoint us, gather us so that we can bring people to know you more deeply, that people can go to churches connect with churches, come back to, to church communities and bring life into those communities where they are all over the world because they have come to know you. Lord, give people the courage to step out of the dark, to give people the courage to step forward and to be strong. Lord God, speak your word so that people are convicted and can say, this is what God has asked of me. This is what my conscience is telling me to do and that they would do it. Father, I pray that we would declare you and your love. And Lord God, I pray that you are the light of the world 
And may we point to you, to your cross and to your mercy. And Father, we make this prayer in Jesus' name through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, thank you for being with us. I pray that God blesses you exactly where you are. Write to me. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, And may God bless you. And don't forget, wherever you are, God is never far from you.